Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Xinjiang, Xinjiang, Xinjiang. A delegation of diplomatic envoys from 30 Muslim-majority countries visited the autonomous region in August. They include ambassadors and senior diplomats from countries in the Middle East and Arab countries. What was their personal experience there? How big is the gap between what they saw and what is told through the Western media? My special guest today is a member of the delegation who comes from a country which has been ravaged from terrorism, Syria. He also told me about Syria's efforts to reconstruct the country and the struggle to regain its sovereignty. Will the Syrian will be bent? I have the pleasure to be joined in Beijing by His Excellency, the Syrian ambassador to China, Mohammed Hassanain. Adam, Your Excellency, thank you very much for joining us today. I know you have uh, just been posted to uh, China a couple of months ago, so the warmest welcome to the Chinese capital. I would like to start by asking you about uh, your recent trip to Xinjiang, actually. I know that from August the 4th to the 5th, you were part of a delegation of ambassadors and diplomats from Muslim-majority countries, and you visited uh, the Xinjiang Weigo Autonomous Region in northwest China for a couple of days. It was short, I understand, but tell us something about your trip. What did you do and what were your impressions? Thank you very much for hosting me on your very widely followed program. It's an honor. Thank you. And it's an honor to be to uh, my, the ambassador of my country in the friendly uh, China. In fact, this is my second posting to China. Uh, as you mentioned, I was uh, among a group of uh, uh, diplomats from 30 OIC countries that visited uh, Xinjiang for a period of five days. In fact, my deputy accompanied me the full uh, tour. I arrived only the last two days. I want to tell you the gap between what we saw in reality on the ground and what we usually read in Western media outlets is unbridgeable by all standards. Of course, coming from Syria after 12 years of terrorist and Western war launched against my country, in fact, it's the same game replay of the same lies from the same media outlets that are forging stories out of nowhere. It was very impressive tour. Everyone was impressed. And what impressed me more, including uh, all the delegation, was the successful policies taken by the Chinese government that changed this remote province into an oasis of business and success which reflected on the lives of, and well-being of the people there from all ethnicities. The peaceful atmosphere where you can walk in the markets for late hours in the night. All the tour was impressive. I must thank, big thank you for the organizers of that tour. Did you have the freedom to talk to some members of the local community of different ethnic backgrounds to know how, you know, what they want uh, in life, how they feel about life, and uh, uh, what were your takeaway from these exchanges, if you had any? Yeah, we met, in fact, people uh, from all walks of life, workers, tradesmen, religious figures, who live peacefully, preserve their culture. It reflects in their dress codes, food, lifestyle, whether in the mosque or the factory or the school. I do believe that uh, the freedom and well-being of uh, the uh, Xinjiang people 
really they enjoy freedoms that cannot be matched by many Muslim communities in many countries that criticize China now, at least they feel they belong to their own country, while on the other side, those communities in the Western countries, in fact, they feel disenfranchised, not belonging. No wonder the number, the huge number of ISIS groups, you know, the terrorist group, came from European countries and with the consent and the blind eye of their governments. This is the full sense of not belonging. I have only congratulations for the success of the Chinese policies and, in fact, for, uh, wishing the well-being of the people of Xinjiang. In fact, we look forward for the revival of Xinjiang's role throughout history as the main gate of the Silk Road, which Syria was a very important part of. In terms of the freedom of pursue religious beliefs, Xinjiang has many mosques. Uh, there are many people who uh, believe in Islam and their culture and religious practice um, are different from those of other ethnic groups and uh, religious believers. Uh, what was your impression after touring possibly mosques and these religious sites and talking to them, to religious figures or people? Do you have a sense that uh, their freedom to practice the religion that they believe in is fully protected and that their uh, religious heritages and including whole cultural heritages were adequately protected. And if you could, will you share with us one example of what you saw in this? In fact, we, uh, the group visited mosques and met with people, prayed with people, mingled with people in uh, schools, in uh, factories, in plants, in uh, everywhere. I didn't notice anything uh, imposed. In fact, not only me, all the delegation. People were ex exercising their religious uh, rituals, normally observing their culture and preserving their culture. You can tell from the dress code, the beards, the, their lifestyle. I didn't see any uh, diminished or limitations on the freedoms. They, and this is what they told us, in fact. And this is what all the delegation noticed. If you were to share with us one moment that imprinted in your mind during your trip, which one would it be? It was in the market. You know, we, in fact, at the last day in Urumqi, we went in a tour in the city. The historical uh, appearance of the city, the, the buildings, very well maintained, mosques, and people in the street, you know, to be able to shop. In fact, we stayed until 12 o'clock. This is very safe atmosphere. We mingled with everyone. In fact, I bought a lot of dry fruits and, you know, traditional crafts. Everyone is exercising his freedom to practice his religion and as well as to practice, I mean, his uh, survivability through work. It's a success story. It's an envious success story. Uh, and uh, we enjoyed really the tour. It was a very beautiful uh, tour. I miss a lot uh, not going the first two days. Was it the first time that you visited Xinjiang? Because you were posted in China before. Yeah, it was my first uh, yeah. So comparing what you saw and comparing what you read, what you have been reading on the international media about all the horrible things that were alleged to have taken place in Xinjiang, including genocide or forced labor, concentration camp, um, how do you understand the huge gap 
what accounted for the huge gap between what you saw and what you understood and what was told to you on the, on the media? And why do you think so many lies are being stirred up about Xinjiang? Uh, first of all, China is a success story. And Xinjiang is another example of this success story. Uh, I think Xinjiang within the last decade achieved about 250% uh, growth. It's a remarkable figure by all standards and it's reflected on their, uh, on the people's life and well-being. And about genocides, uh, this, I mean these ridiculous accusations. You know, you cannot accuse a country that hosts 56 ethnicities living in peace for thousands of years of committing genocide. You know, the diversity is enough proof that there is the real essence of the democracy and accepts it is manifested within the people and their culture. While on the other hand, in fact, if you look in the societies of the countries that accuse uh, China, look at their social structure. They are mono-ethnic, mono-religious, and in fact, I'm sorry to say, same color. And if you want to conclude something here, it will tell you that a lot of genocidal history they passed through. And it can tell the number of different communities that were eliminated to reach this, I'm sorry to say, eugenic society. Uh, it will be very wise for these countries to learn coexistence and tolerance and seek Chinese classes to, to acquire this culture. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the situation in Syria uh, after a decade, over a decade of uh, war and instability. Uh, right now, Syria is slowly trying to regain its sovereignty to embark on the road of reconstruction. I understand that since the beginning of this year, Syria joined the uh, Belt and Road Initiative. Um, how did Syria make this choice? What does it look to benefit from this project and what would, be, would it be mainly about? Uh, thank you, very important question. Uh, it's like the rest or majority of third world countries. We believe the BRI initiative brings hope of a new modality, modality of work between countries based on win-win without dictation or disrespect. And what adds more depth to the initiative is the historical context it takes. As it revived the ancient Silk Road, which my country was part of some 23 centuries ago. Of course, Syria can benefit a lot from this initiative, especially with the rebuilding process that already took off in my country. We wish and invite Chinese companies to be part of uh, the rebuilding process and take advantage of the encouraging it must, uh, investment atmosphere recent laws offered and uh, the wide range of spectrum of works they can take part in. Of course, we look with special care that these companies come from friendly country that stood beside mine during the hardships. Are there specific areas that you can recommend to investors' investments from China? Because you represent Syria, you know the country very well. Where should Chinese companies, for instance, start in trying to carry out some project under the BRI? You know, there are a lot of facts of disruption that was caused by the war in Syria. And uh, the field of infrastructure, 
you know, the field of uh, industry, the field of agriculture. Uh, there are many fields that uh, uh, need maybe to rebuild. And we have a, a plan arranged by the Syrian Planning Commission with other ministries. And it has a look for Syria, post-war Syria. The uh, Chinese uh, companies can get involved in ports, in roads, in bridges, in uh, 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 transportation, in uh, railways, you know, con that connect uh, Syria to Iraq, maybe connecting north to south, as well as uh, ports. And the gap that we missed during the war of the uh, uh, for the growth, natural growth and development of Syrian economy. So the, uh, the, the spectrum is very wide. Right. Well, you've definitely heard so much about the BRI as well, the negative side of it uh, promoted by the international media and, you know, for instance, debt. Um, what is Syrian consideration on that? Because you will need the money for all of these projects. Some, are you going to use investment? Are you going to use loans? And what's the consideration in that regard? Are you uh, concerned or why are you not concerned about debt sustainability? I don't think that China imposed or would impose the mentality, in fact, the concept of the uh, modality of work of the Belt and Road Initiative. It, it's built on consultation, on synchronizing strategies of uh, countries. I know that that crisis of uh, before China's rise and long before the BRI, Nobody is mentioning that. All I know, we are not worried at all from this because, you know, we will negotiate any agreement that is uh, to be reached or any, or any project. In fact, I want to tell you, I followed some uh, uh, very important think tanks, Western think tanks, reports uh, that loudly and unashamed see that if China builds a school or a hospital, in a third world country, it's considered a threat to their national security. Uh, you know, the Western approach to uh, the Belt and Road Initiative is you can sum it up as with a mentality of dog in the manger. They don't want anybody to be involved and they don't want themselves to be involved. The, the uh, developing world is widely open for everybody. Uh, in fact, I followed uh, uh, the initiatives taken by these uh, Western countries just to hamper the BRI or to compete with the BRI instead of incorporating efforts with China to really promote development and international growth. Uh, this is the same context, you know, that uh, goes the anti-China propaganda and uh, China phobia that is promoted by many Western media outlets. There was a recently a deal signed uh, at an exchange of notes ceremony held in Damascus in July and uh, Syria is set to receive uh, communications equipment from China which is part of an ongoing aid framework that aims to improve local network infrastructure especially in those areas hardest hit by the Syrian uh, war which began in 2011. What could you tell us about this project and how is that supposed to benefit the Syrian people in their reconstruction? In fact, out of gratitude, we must express our thanks. In fact, the government and the people of Syria for the humanitarian assistance the Chinese government and people extended to my country throughout the dire days of the Syrian crisis. This assistance helped Syrians fare through the tough days 
in various fields, whether medical, transportation, telecommunication, education, food, especially COVID-related you know, during the pandemic, uh, equipment to fight cancer, uh, prosthetics, you know, a lot of casualties because of the war. Uh, China extended uh, really needed help to the Syrian people. Uh, and I want really to compare, I want your uh, esteemed audience to compare the totally different approach uh, China took to help Syria, while on the other hand, Western unilateral illegal measures suffocate Syrian economy and people imposing blockade, cutting Syria's bank from the international financial system. The West, unfortunately, has not changed its skin and cannot they, in fact, they have been culprit in the Syrian war, just like ISIS. There is an image that I cannot forget. I, I visited you and me maybe in 2016. You know, and the same image of destruction. Destruction I saw in Yuan and with what I saw in Palmyra. Uh, by the way, uh, no difference between, you know, the cause, the, the people he, who perpetrated this destruction, whether it is ISIS or you know, that democracy is now uh, Western democracies. It's very, very sad episode in human history. I really feel very touched for that, whether it is uh, the West or ISIS. I couldn't, we couldn't see in Syria any difference in what's going on, especially now in Syria these days. And the carnage seems to continue huh, with uh... United States, for instance, still infringing upon the sovereignty of Syria. We have seen images of uh, U.S. military trucks um, doing something with uh, Syrian oil, of course, Syria, mm. and uh, uh, many people call it stealing Syria's oil, but the United States uh, has refuted that uh, narrative saying it's disinformation campaign and saying that uh, they are securing critical petroleum infrastructure in northeast uh, of Syria to deny access by the Daesh uh, terrorist group. What is your comment of what the U.S. military is doing there? Exactly what's happening, because they are transporting Syrian oil in broad daylight to somewhere. You know, this is mastery of lying, you know, at state level. You know, uh, my dear friend, in the end, for Syrians, whether it is ISIS or U.S. occupation forces, they are doing the same. They are stealing our national tre treasure. It's the same crime, no matter who is perpetrating the crime. Uh, I want, you know, uh, in fact, uh, the destruction, that, uh, the losses that were incurred by stealing Syrian oil by the Americans is uh, uh, more than $100 billion. Uh, this does not include the destruction they caused to the infrastructure in Syria, uh, destroying bridges and uh, government establishments and uh, uh, trying to cut uh, the geography between uh, the bridges that uh, connect northeast part of Syria with the rest of the country. In fact, they were uh, stealing our uh, agricultural crops. I want to tell you, you know, uh, Syria, uh, all people from neighborly countries, you know, uh, Lebanese, Jordanian, Iraqis, and sometimes Turks, used to visit uh, my country to buy their uh, food, their clothes, their uh, get medical treatment, sometimes even studying at schools or, uh, on, uh, and universities. Uh, 
And I want to tell you something else. On the U.S. invasion of Iraq, Syria received 2 million Iraqis. 2 million. We didn't receive an international aid. Syria hosts about, from 1967, the war of aggression, Israeli war of aggression. We host 400,000 Palestinian refugees. Every time uh, Israel attacks Lebanon, we receive 400,000 uh, Lebanese fleeing this uh, invasion. Nobody, we didn't host anybody. We didn't build tents to host these refugees. We hosted them in our houses. And uh, and just to compare between what's going on to Syrian refugees that are fleeing the terrorists now in hosting countries, it's totally a uh, different story and something else. Uh, the U.S. is using the refugee paper as a political tool. They do whatever they can to hamper Syrian government's efforts to repatriate them. Syria used to export electricity to Jordan and Lebanon. Now, I don't know if you know the situation. In Damascus, you know, in, in uh, the summer, the temperature gets 40, 45 degrees. And in winter, it can reach maybe uh, minus 10, minus 5. You know, we have supply of electricity one hour every six hours. And, you know, with the oil stolen, we have no method, neither for heating nor for cooking, neither in winter nor in the summer. This is, you know, in the sake, for the sake of the Syrians and for the sake of the union. This is what, in fact, the U.S. is doing in my country. It's midday robbery. And uh, really, I cannot find the, the, the reason it's the biggest producer of oil. What will they do with the oil produced by you know a third world country like Syria? Syria was not oil exporting was the oil sufficient. No, we were using our oil for our local needs. You can tell you know what they say is something and what they are doing on the ground is totally something uh, different. All what they are doing is lying. If the United States do not touch these oil, is there any danger that these oil, these infrastructure could fall into the hands of terrorists? I mean, in other words, does Syria right now have the ability to defend these uh, petroleum infrastructure? I want to uh, give examples of what the Americans did in support of Daesh in uh, Syria. The real people who are fighting ISIS or Daesh are the Syrian army. And we have friends of allies that include Iran and Russia uh, on invitation of the Syrian government. Of course, the Syrian army could, can handle Daesh, single-handedly, by the way. But, uh, you know, uh, uh, even, I mean, the huge number of terrorists uh, that infiltrated into Syria. Syria doesn't train, you know, uh, terrorists. These terrorists came in collusion with, you know, Western countries that they brought these terrorists into Syria. And they saw them coming. I can refer you to discussions that happened with the British Parliament 2015, that they wanted to send the terrorists, what they call their local facts, into Syria and not allow them to return back. Uh, you know, in 2016, uh, in their resort, it's famous incident, a Tharda, it's called a Tharda military camp in Syria. While ISIS was attacking military camp, American jets bombarded the, uh, the Syrian army military camp, killing 60, more than 60 Syrian soldiers. You know, I don't think that uh, uh, ISIS would need better allies or more assistance.
You know, uh, ISIS graduated from American prisons, whether in Iraq or Syria, and they are trained, you know, in the camps, American occupation camps in Syria. They are trained, and we have uh, video footages and investigation with some of the people we call. You know, they are trained in weaponry and even uh, maps how yeah. where where to attack Syrian soldiers and Syrian mm. government facilities. Mm. Uh, I then, don't think America wants they America wants to ISIS to continue to existence because you know they uh, hinge their presence in Syria on uh, the continuation of ISIS. So, in your words, basically, you're saying it's going to be a very long story for Americans' intervention in Syria. Is that what you're seeing? For the near future to come, I I do believe you know the Syrian will will not be broken. You know we have been fighting for almost 12 years, and we gave a lot of sacrifice. In the end, the Americans will have to get out. They are an occupation force, and some local resistance, public resistance, started against them. I do believe, in fact, uh, they uh, they leave Syria the easy way because they will face more and more. Uh, local resistance. Uh, this is our territory. We'll, uh, we'll liberate it. And no matter what sacrifice we give for that cause. Finally, Your Excellency, if I may, there is uh, the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party to be convened on the 16th of uh, October, which is a very important meeting for China. What are your expectations and uh, why do you think this would be important for the relationship, for instance, between China and Syria and for Syria's near future as well? Uh, in fact, you know, follow, of course, careful. Uh, the 20th uh, National Congress of the Chinese Congress, but it's uh, important for China and I think for all the world, especially now the, the timing is uh, held in in the wake of the pandemic. Uh, as well as the changing international atmosphere, adjustments in the rebalancing of distribution of weight with the rise of Asia and China in particular. We are interested in knowing the new agenda that will be discussed and expect more Chinese initiatives in support of international growth uh, within the context you know, of the uh, shared future of, for humanity. We believe this will positively impact international stability and development as well as the well-being of Chinese uh, people. It's a very, very important conference and we will follow very carefully and we wish success for this uh, Congress. Thank you so much for your time, Your Excellency, the Syrian Ambassador uh, to China, Mr. Mohammad Hassanai Kadam. Thank you very much exactly. for Exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, dear Lushen. Thank you. That was the Syrian ambassador to China, His Excellency Ambassador Khadem. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got The Point.